Hey, if you have your Bibles um, or your Bible app, want to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, we'll be uh, coming back to that here in just a moment. So navigating the intricacies of healthcare is a nightmare these days, isn't it? Um, I mean, the cost is just uh, is out of control. And there are so many options, so many variables, so many different plans. Um, all my, I mean, different. We even discovered, with, Betsy has a prescription that in one pharmacy, um, $2,500 for a three-month supply of one of the medications. Another pharmacy, $40. Same thing, same quantity, but just the... So, navigating this, I mean, it's just become impossible. And then there's the cost, that I mentioned that already, is just out of control. And then you got to, all right, you find out that you need some procedures, and well, that's not covered under your policy, or that is. And so knowing all the ins and outs, and I mean, it's just crazy trying to navigate that. Now, here's the thing that's really ironic. The basic idea behind health insurance is fairly straightforward. For a, a monthly premium, there's a set amount, you're supposed to then get, um, you know, your, your medical care is covered, or it's covered at a reduced price. I mean, so conceptually, it, it works out, but it gets incredibly complex after that. But the general idea is fairly straightforward. You know, the, you go to see the doctor, either it's covered entirely or you have a small copay. Um, or if you have to go to the emergency room for something that it's at a reduced cost for the treatment you might get there. Or if you have to have surgery or there's a major medical expense, there's sometimes there's a maximum that's covered um, within that. And prescriptions, you know, there's reduced costs associated with that. So because of all the complexities that are with health insurance, associated with health insurance, if you have it, which I know for many people is, is a big if, but if you have it, it's essential that you know what's covered. It's essential you know that what I can do, what's covered, what's not. Now, uh, a number of years ago, I went to, uh, uh, I saw an optometrist, an eye doctor. I needed uh, my prescription. I could tell what's changing. And um, I needed new glasses, and so I went, and I paid all of it out of pocket, the exam, new glasses, the whole thing, just paid, I don't know if I wrote a check or a credit card, but anyways, I, it all came out of my pocket. After the fact, I learned that all of it, it was covered under my insurance policy. I just didn't know it. I just wasn't aware of my policy and ended up having to uh, cover that, uh, pay for that myself. Here's the thing, health insurance doesn't do you any good if you don't know what's in it or how actually to use it the best way. Makes sense, right? All right? Now, in the same way, too many Christ followers are going through life like those who are ignorant about their health insurance. What we have in Christ is more than confidence about where we're going to spend eternity. So much more than that. There's value today and every day that we live when we follow Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, too many Christ followers don't live that way. They're not aware of all that's available to them. They're not aware of, how, of what Christ has done for them. And they don't take full advantage of all that God offers us in Christ. Now, according to the New Testament writer of the book of Hebrews, life in Christ is an incredible gift. And the writer of Hebrews wanted everyone to take full advantage of the benefits that come. So if Hebrews chapter 12, I'll be starting with verse 1. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And for the next couple minutes, as kind of unwrap this a bit more, Father, help us to see what you would want us to see. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts what we need to hear this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the imagery that's in that passage. I mean, it's this idea of, you know, throw off everything that hinders, run with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The image is, is, you know, what's being portrayed there is one of conviction and passion and strength, and it would have made a great locker room speech at halftime. You know, go get them. You can do it. And then the writer says something really interesting about halfway through verse 2. Can you put that back up there again, Erica? Get the second part. Uh, okay, yeah, right at the beginning. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Again, he's talking about Jesus. Joy set before him. What was joyful about the cross? Now, how are we to understand that whole thing? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So, in the weeks leading up to Christmas, this most recent Christmas, Betsy was crazy busy, as she is pretty much every Christmas, buying Christmas presents, um, wrapping Christmas presents. She was grocery shopping and cooking, and uh, she was cleaning, doing all kinds of cleaning, and then she had to listen to me whine about cleaning, and um, because... All three of our adult children, the two spouses, and our brand new granddaughter were coming to stay with us for Christmas. So yeah, there was a lot of preparation that went in to their arrival. Hours and hours. Now, during that time, those days that they were there, there's an image that's embedded in my memory. I remember this one time. First time I say this, our kids enjoy each other. They get along, but there's a lot of sparring. There's a lot of noise and activity. There's always lots of energy. Betsy refers to it as happy chaos. Um, and so but that's just going on. One evening, we're all sitting in our living room, family room area. Um, you know, laughter. There's conversation going back and forth. It, you know, it's all pretty lively. And I look over at Betsy, and she's just sitting there in the chair, not saying a word. But she just has this smile on her face that was just pure joy. And I realized that this was the moment that she had been preparing for. All the buying, all the wrapping, all the cleaning, all the cooking, all of that was for that one moment when her family gathered together and just enjoyed being together and celebrated life together. And she was just sitting there taking it all in. This is what she'd been waiting for. And this was why she was willing to spend hours and hours preparing 
For Betsy, all the preparation was about creating an environment where her family could enjoy each other's company. Enjoy each other over meals, playing games together. Her joy came in seeing us share life together. I think that's what the writer of Hebrews was referring to when he's talking here about the joy of Jesus. Joy that made the suffering of the cross all worthwhile. The joy he felt was for us. He was feeling, he was joyful for us. So the question is, is why was he so happy? Why, what, what about this made the cross bearable, if you will? I think it's, there's a few reasons why. It's because of his sacrifice, we have living hope. Now, earlier on, I said, I made the statement, what we have in Christ is more than confidence in where we'll spend an eternity. Remember me saying that? Now, in no way am I trying to downplay the significance of our eternal destination. The idea of where we spend eternity is huge. That's kind of a big deal. Now, throughout all time, in every culture, there exists this idea of an afterlife. I mean, through every culture, through all time, until recently, well, in the last couple hundred years, Stephen Hawking, if you know him, he's a world-renowned British physicist. Um, He has been quoted as saying, I regard the brain as a computer, which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken-down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Basically, what he's saying is that we're afraid of death, and so we concocted this story to help us feel better. I would argue just the opposite is true. We don't give our lives to Jesus because we fear death. We give our lives to Jesus because we want life. We no longer have to fear death. We can live with the promise of abundant and eternal life. I think Paul captured this idea perfectly in his letter to the uh, the church in Philippi. He says, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. These were not the words of someone who was afraid of death. This was someone who was willing uh, this was somebody who, was, who understood that the benefit for Christ right now is significant, and it's not just eternity. Jesus endured the cross because he knew that his death and his resurrection would provide living hope for us. His death and resurrection also meant that we could have a new identity. Now, what's identity? When we hear the word identity, it's actually kind of one of these trigger words uh, uh, these days. Um, but really, you want to talk about your identity, it's who you are. It's, it's, I kind of look at it as this, it's the cumulative sum of your biological heritage and life experiences. That's your identity. It could be your physical traits, tall, short, um, thin, not so much. It's your personality. I'm shy, I'm outgoing, it's, you know, your introvert, extrovert, your, it, your character, as part of your identity. It could be your family, the family you grew up in, you know, your spouse, your parents, or if you have children, that's part of your identity. It could be race, age, gender, education could be part of your identity, your career, 
nationality, even political affiliation. All of these things can come into how you see yourself and how you understand who you are. So if someone says, who are you? You generally respond with a, usually a list of some of those characteristics. Well, I'm, I'm so-and-so, this is my name, I'm this age, I'm married to the Betsy, we, I know we have kids, that's who I am. That's my identity, that's how I see myself. Now, we need to realize, though, that when we give our lives to Jesus, we receive a new identity. Now, there's two realities related to our identity. The first is this, our past no longer defines us. And it doesn't matter what we've done, and for some of us, this is really good news. Before God, our past failures and shortcomings are no longer held against us. The slate is wiped clean. We have a fresh start. Apostle Paul put it this way in Corinthians. He said, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. A fresh start, new beginning. Our past is just that, it's in the past. In fact, uh, Paul writes, he says, our past is becomes, it's as far as the east is from the west, which means it's, it's an infinite, it's, it no longer exists, it's not there. And again, that is huge for many of us. We no longer have to live with the guilt or shame of our past. The second thing we need to understand about identity in Christ is this. Being a follower of Jesus can't just be another one of the items on our list. You know, yes, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this and this, and oh yeah, I'm also a Christ follower. Being a follower of Jesus is the most important part of your life. It is the number one thing that should characterize you and identify you. It, more than anything else, should be what defines you. So if somebody asks you, who are you? Your response should be, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I'm also the da-da-da-da-da-da-da. This is the idea Paul was trying to get across in his letter to the Galatians. Galatians 3 said, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free, there is, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, what Paul is talking to me here is, is identity. It's how you see yourself, and it's how we should also respond and relate to one another. Our identity is in Christ. One more thing about this. I guess there's three things about identity. Receiving a new identity in Christ is not the same thing as receiving a new identity in the witness protection program. Okay? Now, I mean, you understand that. The witness protection, obviously, you know, there's, there's legal stuff going on there, but what they, they give you a new name, new social security number, a new location, new job. They, you know, everything changes about you, right? But it's all external. <clears throat> you are still the same person you always were. You're still the same personality, the same characteristics. Nothing about you changes inside. <clears throat> when you give your life to Jesus, you become a new person. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen quick. But God begins to change you on the inside too. Receiving a new identity is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. In Jesus, we do not lose ourselves. We become our true selves. Our past no longer defines us. 
our identity in Christ becomes the defining characteristic for who we are. And God begins the transforming work within us. So why is this such a big deal? I think there's a number of reasons, but I think one of them is because with, with the understanding of our identity in Christ comes also unlimited power in Christ. Jesus did some amazing things during the three years that he walked on the earth. He healed the sick, cast out demons, and even raised a few people from the dead. Pretty impressive things. There's one afternoon where Jesus is sitting around, and I think he's looking kind of into the future, and uh, I think they're just sitting together and reflecting and talking. And he said something very interesting, John chapter 14. He says, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Even greater things than these. Now think about that for the moment. I mean, this is Jesus, and Jesus, he wasn't talking about people, you know, the superheroes of faith. He wasn't talking about Billy Graham or some of these other people that we think are significant. He was talking about you and me. He had us in mind when he made that statement. We have been given power to pray for the sick. We have been given power to encourage our neighbor a friend, a coworker. We have been given power to exercise what Christ is doing in us. Now, to be clear, this is not like Harry Potter and Hogwarts. You know, you're going and you're learning all the incantations and the spells, and that's not what's going on here. Paul is very clear about the source of our power. In Ephesians 3, he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. It's Jesus working in us. In our humanity, we are limited, but through the power of Christ in us, all things become possible. Not only have we been given power in Christ, we've been given authority to use it as well. Because of his death and resurrection, we have been given delegated authority. So let's say that you're driving down I-77 and you're doing 80 miles an hour and uh, uh, a sheriff, a patrol car, state trooper, whatever, pulls you over and gives you a speeding ticket. Can you do that? Absolutely. Yeah. Why? Because he's been given authority by either the city or the county or whatever it is, some governing entity, to enforce the speed limit laws on that freeway. So now let's say that you're driving down I-77 and you're doing 80 miles an hour, and I pull up next to you, and I kind of wave you over. And, um, you know, you're wondering what's going on, so you pull over, and I walk up to your car, and I hand you a ticket, the exact same ticket that the patrolman would have handed you, identical. I had a stack of them, so I'm just issuing out tickets, okay? Do you pay the ticket? No. In fact, um, you probably wad it up and throw it at me, say mean things to me, and then drive off. No, I'm really kind of baffled. I mean, my ticket's the same thing as the policeman's ticket. Why, Why would you pay his ticket and not mine? I don't have the authority to issue tickets, do I? 
The power is not in the ticket. The, the power is in the authority of the one who gives it. And as followers of Jesus, we are not fighting for victory. We're not fighting to try to achieve something. We're fighting from victory. The victory has already been accomplished for us. Jesus defeated Satan through his death and resurrection, and today we have authority over Satan through Jesus Christ. So we have power, we have authority, not because of anything that's inherent in us. I mean, we just have to look in the mirror and recognize our own deficiencies. It's not us. It's Jesus working through us. 1 John 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Talking about those in the world. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. What we have in Jesus is better than any health insurance policy out there. Jesus has already paid the premium in full. There's no deductible. And it's comprehensive for all situations. So my encouragement to you is this week, pay attention. As someone who has authority, who has power, approach your week with that expectation. Look, observe. Who do you encounter? Who do you see? Is there an opportunity for you to actually reflect Jesus Christ to someone else this week? And maybe God wants to do something in you as well. You no longer have to live with the circumstances. In Jesus, in Christ, we have been made victorious. Christ's victory is our victory. His gain is our gain. And we just need to live on all that he has provided for us. Here's the thing. It all begins when we give our life to Jesus. It all begins there. Now, I don't know where all of you are at in your life and faith, but it all begins here. And all it takes is for, us, you to, for a simple acknowledgement of, God, I need you. Jesus, I want to give my life to you. Jesus, I want to follow you. I need you in my life. That simple acknowledgement is all that's needed for you to begin that journey of faith in Jesus. For you to then have access to what we've been talking about here this morning. There's no secret code. There's no ritual you need to go through. It's a simple acknowledgement of your need for God and of your invitation to follow Jesus. And it begins when we give our life to him. I'm going to pray now. And if you're sitting here and you may say, no, I go to church. I know all these things, but I've never really given my life to Jesus like that. You can do so while I'm praying. You can just, to yourself, just say, God, I need you. I want Jesus in my life. I want to give my life to him. That simple acknowledgement is all that's needed. And I encourage you to do that here as I pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for all that you're doing uh, in our lives. Father, I thank you for... um, or just the way that you continue to um, work in us. You don't, you don't leave us where you find us. Father, you do some pretty amazing things. But it all begins when we surrender to you. When we quit trying to live life on our own terms. When we quit trying to make things happen the way we want them. And we surrender. And we, we say, God, your will be done, not mine. 
And when we do that, that's not an act of cowardice. That's an actually an act of bravery. And when we do that, we have just signed up for life's greatest adventure. Because again, Lord, you don't leave us where you find us. And you desire to use us for your purposes. So Father, we just give ourselves to you. I pray, Lord, for those here this, that, uh, who have already given their life to you, that this would be a week that they experience your, the power of Jesus in a way they've never experienced before whether it's through their own quiet time, whether it's through engaging in a conversation with someone else, maybe it's even praying for someone else to be healed. But Father, we would encounter you and experience you in very significant ways this week. So Father, thank you for all that you accomplished through your son Jesus on the cross, that we no longer have to live in fear or shame, but we can live boldly and with courage and with hope and expectation not because of anything we've done, but because of who Jesus is and because of his presence in our life. So Father, within that hope and with that confidence and with that joy, and Lord, with that sense of expectation, we continue to give ourselves to you. In the name of your son, Jesus, I pray.